Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. The flag is now a half-mast over the White House. After a little up and down yesterday, thanks to Donald Trump's petty nature. What do you say, folks? Great to see you today. It is Tuesday, August 28th. Wait a minute. At least we think the flag is half-mast today over the White House. Has anybody, Sun's not up yet. Has anybody seen it yet? <laughs> no, but I'll tell you one thing. The man is at it at 523 this morning, East Coast time. I received my first tweet from Donald Trump. I'm sorry. Go back to bed. God, it's too early to be out there ranting and raving at 523 in the morning. Executive time. Yeah. Get off my lawn. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everybody. What do you say? Happy Tuesday. Tuesday, August 28. Man, summer is over. Labor Day coming up, and then we are full in the full swing of uh, the midterm elections and uh, Congress back in town and back to work, although it doesn't seem we've had really any summer break, certainly no summer break from news. But speaking of the news, that's our biz here on the Bill Press Show to tell you what's going on today here in Washington, D.C., around the country and around the globe. We'll do that and uh, turn to you to let you know what it all means to you and you know how to do so. Send us your comments on Twitter at BP Show. Great lineup of guests for you today, including the chairman of the Democratic National Committee, the Honorable Tom Perez, just back from Chicago, where the party did the right thing by clipping the wings of the super delegates and taking a lot of their power away. So much to talk about on the radio, on television, and online. Again, your comments. Most important part of the show, send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. But First, this is the Full Court Press. All right, just a couple of other stories making news. This is a fascinating story. We go to South Carolina where there's a company called Element Electronics. They make very cheap TVs, and they were really, really big on Donald Trump. In fact, they threw their support behind the Trump administration's tariffs on Chinese goods. Well, here's the problem. 
When you make really cheap TVs here in America, you benefit from, uh, you know, uh, cheap Chinese-made TVs that become prohibitively expensive to import. And so now they're facing total ruin because they don't have what they need to oh, make these TVs yeah, so yeah. cheaply. And they've been lobbying their uh, members of Congress mm -hmm. to get some sort of a waiver so we can get around oh, this yeah. stuff, but they can't. So this is, I think... In a nutshell, most Trump supporters vote against your own good and then watch your business fall into complete collapse. Serves them right. I hope they, I hope they yeah. go belly up and lose all their money and uh, for just supporting that. That's clown. what you get. Yeah, that's what you absolutely. get. Absolutely. Here's another sad story. We go to Pittsburgh, where the Pittsburgh Post Gazette has been a newspaper that has been running for 232 years. It's one of the oldest newspapers in the country. Is that crazy? Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. The Pittsburgh Post Gazette. Well. Last week, they announced that they were cutting its production schedule down to five days a week. You'll no longer be getting a daily newspaper. That means <laughs> Pittsburgh is now the largest U.S. city without a daily print newspaper. No more print newspaper every single day. Again, they're yeah, going to do it yeah. five days a week. And they will still, for what it's worth, they will still have an online presence uh, and have some of their reporting go online. But in terms of printing papers, paper delivery, it's over. That's what's happening. Yeah, that's, that's not gonna, happening. It's not going to be seven days a week. And a big, big story in Orlando, Florida, uh, Walt Disney World employees, the union there has been fighting with Disney World to get a new contract, yep. and the workers won. They get an increase in their minimum wage starting pay, starting at $15 an hour. That will begin by 2021. 2021. So minimum wage for Walt Disney World now. Uh, yeah, I, you know. By the way, I, I saw that story. It's good that they're getting 15 bucks. 15 bucks is hardly enough at this point. But, yeah. But, but what the hell? Why? Why? Why wait three years to give it to them? You know, San Francisco and other cities have already done. They 15. got the money. They got the money. God knows they got the money. This is the Bill Press Show. The war in the Vatican escalates between the traditionalists and Pope Francis. Someone called it a palace coup. Hey, what do you say, everybody? Yeah, you thought American politics were dirty? <laughs> Vatican politics proved to be just as dirty. Good to see you today. It is a Tuesday, Tuesday, August 28th. Uh, this is the Bill Press Show. Welcome to the program. With lots to talk about and some very important guests today to help us through it all. The most important guest, of course, you are uh, that you fill that role and you fill it well every day as you join us online on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. As you join us on television, on free speech TV, coast to coast, and as you join us on the radio statewide in Indiana through Indiana Talks and on the great WCPT, the big progressive voice of the greater Chicago area. Hello, hello, everybody. Uh, ready to dive in this morning, I hope, because we've got a lot to dive into. Say, I mentioned a uh, great guest today here on the Bill Press Show, the chairman of the Democratic National Committee, the Honorable Tom Perez, just back from Chicago where they uh, enacted those very, very important uh, democratic reforms last weekend in Chicago. Tom Prez will tell us all about it and what happens to superdelegates and 
closed primaries and caucuses and all that other good stuff, important to make the Democratic Party more democratic. We'll also be talking to Graham Weiss, who now with uh, Governing Magazine, who's been uh, writing particularly about uh, John McCain and the contrast between John McCain and Donald Trump, which we'll be talking about ourselves in just a few minutes. Andrew DeSiderio joins us also from the Daily Beast. And again, you are always our most important guest. Send us your comments on Twitter, uh, at BP Show Today. A big day in American politics. It seems that the primaries uh, just go on and on. Uh, next month are the last primaries uh, in New York State. Actually being held, by the way, on a Thursday this week. Talk about trying to confuse people and suppress the vote. Uh, but today, primaries on this Tuesday, big primaries being held, particularly in Arizona, a few other states, but the two that really count, Arizona and Florida. We'll be keeping our eye on those. In Arizona, it's that wide-open Senate race on the in the Republican primary uh, for Senate. Uh, Martha McSally is the establishment candidate, leading candidate, uh, member of Congress, of course. Um, she is a uh, has a very serious challenge from a woman, a state senator by the name of Kelly Ward, who's a real Trumper. Uh, and there's also that <laughs> that infamous infamous friend of Donald Trump, uh, the pardonee of Donald Trump, Sheriff Joe Arpaio, who is still in that race. And uh, uh, no way he could win it, but he could uh, maybe make the difference uh, in that race on the on the Democratic side. It will be. A uh, Kirsten Cinema, Congresswoman, who will be the Democratic candidate for Senate and stands a good chance of taking that seat and giving Arizona the first Democratic senator in years and years and years uh, to take the place of the retiring uh, Jeff Flake. Down in Florida, two big uh, primary on the Republican side uh, is where the action is uh, for Governor Ron DeSantis, whom Donald Trump has not has endorsed uh, versus Adam Putnam, a, f- a member of Congress and former um, former member of Congress and now agricultural commissioner uh, of Florida, who was a front runner until Donald Trump decided to get involved in that primary. Uh, Putnam could still win, but DeSantis is now the favorite. Uh, up ag- who will be up against? Uh, there is a Democratic primary. Gra- Gwen Graham, member of Congress, daughter of the former United States Senator Bob Graham. Uh, is up against three very, very wealthy businessmen who spent a lot of their own money uh, attempting to win that race. She looks like she's the front runner and looks like she will be the Democratic nominee. And of course, on the Republican side, uh, Rick Scott, Governor Rick Scott, coming out on top, will come out on top, I'm sure, as the uh, Republican nominee for United States Senate to go up against incumbent. Uh, Democrat uh, Bill Bill Nelson Bill Nelson, Bill Nelson down uh, in Florida. So we're taking we're keeping our eye on those. By by the way, also uh, on the uh, on the political front, big news out of North Carolina: uh, a federal a, a three a panel of three federal judges yesterday, yet again, once again invalidated, and we'll talk to Chairman Tom Perez about this a little bit later, uh, invalidated North Carolina's congressional districts drawn by the Republicans in the legislature 
Uh, and it was maybe six months or more ago that this uh, the, uh, the f- federal judges down there, this panel of judges, said that this is the worst case of political gerrymandering they had ever seen. It, these were districts were were drawn purely for political purposes to help the Republican Party. They threw them out and said uh, North Carolina had to come up with new district lines. That was appealed to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court said the judges didn't get it right the first time they because of lack of standing or some procedural matter. Uh, they had to take another look at it. Uh, the judges did. Yesterday they came out and said, nope, we, we, we still believe that these districts are totally partisan, totally political, uh, and they've got to redraw the lines. This is 10 weeks before the midterm elections. They have to draw new lines in the state of North Carolina. It's a mess. Nobody know, knows how they're going to, um, uh, to figure that out. And the judges gave them a deadline until uh, mid-September uh, to come up with a whole new set of lines, which will be in effect in these midterm elections. What a mess in North Carolina. But it just, again, underscores the extent to which these Republican legislatures, not just in North Carolina, we saw that also in Pennsylvania, have gone out of their way to try to redraw the lines, redraw the map, uh, to make them uh, favorable for uh, Republican uh, legislators. And more and more, the courts are throwing them out saying, no, this does not meet the one man, one vote, or one person, one vote rule of the United States Constitution. This is one of the biggest things the Democrats face. Yeah. Uh, this yeah. is one of the biggest, biggest uphill obstacles. battles. Yeah, absolutely. Because we can talk and, about how you run and who you run and you know whether you go too far left or whatever, right? But it really doesn't matter if you've got these types of obstacles you've got to get over. It's impossible. No. And the and the relief, and the system is rigged. Uh, the system is rigged, but the relief now is coming from the courts, who look at these lines, and uh, you know our friend who who's been in so many times, uh, David uh, Daly. I David imagine Daly. David Daly. You're thinking of yeah, right, exactly, uh, with his book Rat Eft, um, and basically says that this is the number one problem, number one challenge Democrats face. Again, we'll be talking to uh, uh, the good chairman Tom Perez about that in just uh, just a little bit. Uh, also on the political front, boy. Oh, my God, I saw this yesterday, and I went, yes, in Texas. The latest poll in the Senate race in Texas shows Ted Cruz. Yeah, he's ahead. He's ahead in the polls over Beto O'Rourke. He's ahead by one point. 38 Ted Cruz, 37 to Beto O'Rourke, that uh, congressman representing Texas' uh, 16th congressional district who is a real ball of fire and a great candidate. And you know what? I don't know if you saw it. Go online. I just happened to see it yesterday. A video of Beto O'Rourke skateboarding. In a Whataburger parking lot. In a Whataburger parking lot. It was incredible. Boy, the guy's got some good moves, yeah. man. Yeah. I like to see Ted Cruz. He'd fall on his, flat on his face. If two, he, two great if Texas institutions, Beto O'Rourke and Whataburger. There you go. <laughs> Uh, Ted Cruz, by the way, uh, also sporting uh, showing in the same poll where he's one point ahead. I mean, that's just that that is that's a the margin of error. Tie. That's within the margin, margin of error, of error yeah. for sure. Usually, three or four points is within the margin of error. But Ted Cor- Ted Cruz also showing a fifty seven percent disapproval rating in the state of Texas. Is that Th- bad? I this- don't. My math is not great. Is that bad? <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, this could be the biggest upset in Texas history. 
And let me tell you, you heard it here first, right? If Beto O'Rourke is elected and beats Ted Cruz in the United States Senate, Ted, Beto O'Rourke is going to be talked about in 2020 as a presidential candidate. He's the kind of exciting, fresh, new face. As long as he's old enough, I'm not really sure. <laughs> <laughs> he's uh, going to put a half pipe on the south lawn of the White House, just yeah. a skateboard. I love it. He could be the new Barack Obama. Come in the Senate two years later. President of the United States. I was going to say, that sounds like such a crazy idea. Would Democrats ever risk it, Bill? (laughs) Right. Everybody said, no, you can't do it. It's too soon, too soon. Anyway, very, very exciting. And I I have to tell you, you know, it's incredible. Wherever wherever I go in this country, up in in Rhode Island a few weeks ago, out in California and in Oregon uh, last week, when people talk to me about politics, inevitably, they want to know about Beto O'Rourke. Can he really win? Can he really win? He has... He has touched a nerve. He has really generated a lot of excitement uh, all over the country, uh, and rightly so. So that's all the uh, that's a little roundup of uh, some of the political news uh, that uh, we face on this Tuesday, uh, August 28th. But yesterday, most of the news was consumed again uh, by the White House. T- talk about just totally embarrassing and clumsy reaction uh, on the part of Donald Trump to the death of a genuine American hero, John McCain. You know, and it's it's it just I I think Donald Trump's reaction revealed who Donald Trump really is. He's a very small, petty man. You know, Donald John McCain famously and I heard him say this many 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 times and it was sort of the theme of his campaign saying, you know, we all have to believe in and fight for a cause that is bigger than ourselves. So to encourage people to do. Think of something. You've got to be out there fighting for causes bigger than ourselves. Yeah, the difference. Donald Trump, for Donald Trump, there is no cause bigger than himself. He is the most important cause on the planet. Everything is all about Donald Trump, right? That's his cause himself. And he shows it over and over and over again. It's so petty. I mean, first of all, just a couple of weeks ago, signing that John McCain defense authorization bill without even mentioning the name of the bill because that would have forced him to mention the name of John McCain, which he couldn't bring himself to do. And, of course, famously started his campaign by uh, condemning or trashing John McCain, saying he wasn't any war hero because he'd been captured and he liked people who had never been uh, captured. Uh, and and then, of course, uh, we, we know that um, Donald Trump the, the White House staff had prepared a statement for him, which uh, praising John McCain, even though they did differ politically, uh, Donald Trump refused to put out that statement and instead just put out a tweet saying, we send our prayers to the family of, um, of, uh, of, of, of John McCain. Wouldn't say anything nice about him. Uh, and then yesterday, then we got caught, and it was yesterday morning during the show that we heard the news that the flag uh, over the White House, which had flown half-staff on Sunday, was back up again Monday morning, full staff, even though it's a tradition and certainly being observed about the United States Congress uh, that when a member dies, and particularly a genuine, I mean, one of the leading political figures in this country, that the flags would remain half staff until that person, until that person's memorial service and burial, which would be for John McCain. Uh, next weekend, next Sunday, the memorial service at the National Cathedral on Saturday, burial up at the uh, U.S. Naval Academy on Sunday. 
But no, John, uh, Donald Trump said, no, 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 no we're not going to do that. We just we had the we had to flag down half staff for one day. That's enough. The American Legion had to reach out and request the president of the United States to please lower the flag back to half mast in honor of one of our real military heroes and American heroes. And finally, Donald Trump did. And then he put out a statement saying, all the things that I'm doing, right? I've asked Mike Pence to speak at some service somewhere, and I'm sending John Kelly and John Bolton uh, to the funeral. But of course, Donald Trump won't be there because John McCain did not want him there, expressly made that purpose. Instead, the two people who will speak at the, at the at the senator's memorial service at the National Cathedral will be, I think it's very, very, says says a great deal about uh, John McCain. The two people, the two speakers will be former President George W. Bush and former President Barack Obama. Both men that John McCain ran against for president of the United States and yet maintain great respect for them and even great friendship with them, uh, which speaks a great deal about the difference, I think, between not only between John McCain and Donald Trump, but between what the Republican Party was not so long ago and what the Republican Party is today under Donald Trump. Uh, And Donald Trump yesterday, by the way, clearly, and this is yesterday morning, when the flag is still up at full staff at the White House, uh, clearly, Donald Trump didn't want to talk about John McCain. John, God knows, John Carl from ABC News, there in the Oval Office with the president, tried to get him to talk about it. Here he is. Thank you very much, Mr. Everybody. President. Do you have Thank any you. thoughts on John McCain? Thank you. Do you have any thoughts at all about John McCain? Do you believe John McCain was a hero? Thank you. Nothing at all about John McCain. By the way, we're, you can hear the you you can hear the, the press aides. By the way, yeah, say, let's go, let's yeah. go, let's say, go. You, you yeah. can hear them yelling for them to go, which you can't see. Uh, uh, and that is Sarah Huckabee Sanders sort of sneaks in behind and like grabs John Carl's arm to sort of like get oh, him out of oh. the room. I, no. Everybody is yeah. panicking that Donald Trump is going to say something horrible about John McCain after that question and. I mean, I don't want to say to his credit because it's a pretty low bar to get over, but he didn't take the bait. Trump didn't take the bait. No. But they were all mortified. But you could tell. And as John Carl uh, said later last night on the ABC News, uh, clearly Don Trump wasn't happy that uh, at John Carl. The president was definitely ignoring me. There is no question that he heard me. I was about six feet or so from him, you know, in the Oval Office. And then right across the table, directly across the table from him in the cabinet room, there is no doubt in my mind he heard exactly what I was asking. He had that look, that, that, that kind of you know, stone-faced look. He was not happy with the question. He did not want to answer it. And he By did. the way, I did, he really wanted to answer that question. He oh, just yeah, knew no, it was did. probably not the smartest thing to do at the time. Uh, well, <laughs> I think they, the White House staff had finally beat him, it beat beat him up, basically, and said, no, you got to. And then shortly after that, they did lower the flag. And shortly after that, as I said, Donald Trump did put out some of kind of a half-ass BS statement uh, saying about the things that he had done, lowering the flag and sending John Kelly to the, to the memorial service, etc. cetera. Uh, and in a final show of class yesterday, John McCain uh, uh, well, was released by the family 
Uh, a final letter that John McCain had addressed to the nation, uh, the family asked uh, Rick Davis, who was uh, John McCain's campaign manager, to read this letter uh, aloud, a very moving letter, uh, classic, John McCain, here's Rick Davis. We have always had so much more in common with each other than in disagreement. If only we remember that and give each other the benefit of the presumption that we all love our country, we will get through these challenging times. And he did not mention Donald Trump by name, but there's no doubt who he was talking about, Rick Davis again, in his concluding words. Americans never quit. We never surrender. We never hide from history. We make history. Farewell, fellow Americans. God bless you, and God bless America. It was sort of John McCain's final poke uh, at Donald Trump, again quoting from that letter uh, here from the front page of the uh, New York Times. John McCain wrote, quote, in addition to the things we just heard from Rick Davis, quote, we, uh, tell me who he's talking about, quote, we weaken our greatness when we confuse our patriotism with tribal rival rivalries that have sown resentment and hatred and violence in all the corners of the globe. We weaken it, John McCain says, when we hide behind walls rather than tear them down. John McCain, God bless uh, a great American, uh, and just the opposite. Uh, Donald, uh, John McCain was everything that Donald Trump is not. While the president was meeting with reporters yesterday in the morning, he called them back in again for an announcement about NAFTA, which was really kind of bizarre. I don't know whether you saw this. I happened to be at CNN uh, and just got off the air when they went live to the Oval Office where Donald Trump was holding a news conference to announce a new trade agreement with Mexico, which supposedly replaces NAFTA, but the president of Mexico wasn't there. He was on the phone, and Donald Wait. Trump was trying to get him on the phone. Okay. It was a disaster. Okay. I almost pulled that audio this morning, uh, but it's so visual. It's a minute and a half. Oh, yeah. It a seemed, minute and a half. It seemed like five minutes. Which is an eternity. That is an, an eternity, eternity for dead television. air. Yeah. Dead air. And the president is just poking at the phone. Hello? Hello? It's not there. Hello? Can somebody fix his phone? Can somebody get him on the line? And some guy has to come in actually and push the buttons for him and get the president of Mexico on the line. Yeah. With a translator. Like, Trump is at his desk in some land yes. and has to get behind yeah. the desk, the, right. the, yeah. the resolute desk, to, like, fix the phone. Mm. Yeah. I, again, I was in the green room at CNN. It was full of people who were going on the air next, Republican, I mean, you know, conservatives and liberals. I mean, and everybody was saying, this is not good. This is a disaster. It was embarrassing. So at any rate, the president, here he is now, he says, when he finally, <laughs> after, finally has this conversation, the conversation with the president of Mexico, here's what it's all about. I like to call this deal the United States-Mexico trade agreement. I think it's an elegant name. I think NAFTA has a lot of bad connotations for the United States because it was a ripoff. It was a deal that was a horrible deal for our country. Yep. And the president says we're going to junk NAFTA because it hurt us. We'll get rid of the name NAFTA. It has a bad connotation because the United States was hurt very badly by NAFTA. Yeah. 
Well, you know, I'm no big fan of NAFTA. I've always opposed it. I, I, do, I do think it's uh, uh, not uh, not been good overall for uh, for American workers. I think the facts show that. But here's what's here's what we got to know about this announcement yesterday by Donald Trump. It's meaningless. It is totally meaningless. There is the, the president cannot unilaterally end NAFTA. Congress has to do it. Number one. Number two. It's a three-way deal. It's Canada, it's the United States, and Mexico, and Canada. So what the president did yesterday was leave Canada totally out of the picture because, you know, not only does he have this pissing contest with Angela Merkel and Theresa May and Emmanuel Macron and formerly uh, John McCain, but he's also got a pissing contest underway with Justin Trudeau, so he leaves him out of the picture and, f- and figures by announcing a bilateral agreement with Mexico, he's going to force Canada to come along and agree to what they agreed to. So, first of all, it's the president does not have the power to unilaterally dump NAFTA. And again, he can't do it, certainly, without Congress and without Canada. So, you know, I thought I think this thing in the, in the White House, uh, in the Oval Office yesterday, was basically like the summit in Singapore. Great photo op. Not a great photo op because it was the president and the telephone, not the president with the alongside of the president of Mexico. It wasn't quite the same. But the ultimate result of it will be nothing. Totally meaningless. Uh, but it's got such an elegant name. You know what it was really all about? That Donald Trump is hoping now. Maybe we'll start talking about trade with Mexico instead of talking about John McCain. Turn the page. What can we do to turn the page? What can we do to change the subject? Um, nice try, Donald Trump. Uh, it didn't. It didn't really work. And then yesterday evening, just got to close with this before we uh, welcome uh, Chairman Tom Perez to the program. Uh, the president last night uh, made up an event to invite evangelicals to the White House, have a dinner honoring evangelical leaders. Why? I mean, what was that all about? Again, to turn the page. To turn the page and also to uh, thank these people for sticking by him, even though he is the least evangelical probably of any modern president. But do you think these evangelicals care? No way. They don't care anything about Donald Trump. All they care about is that he will stand with them when it comes particularly to social issues like same-sex marriage or abortion. Robert Jeffers last night, yes, that Robert Jeffers, we've talked about him so many times, maybe the worst of the worst among the evangelicals, said, we don't care what a big sinner Donald Trump is. We just like where he's, where, that he stands with us on our extreme right-wing agenda. We don't support extramarital affairs. We don't support hush money payments. But what we do support are these presidents' excellent policies. And I think most thinking people can absolutely differentiate between the two. Yeah. And just imagine what he would be saying if it would never have happened, but if a Barack Obama had been caught making hush money payments to a Playboy model or to... A porn star? Oh, yeah. Right. The Honorable Tom Perez, chairman of the DNC, fresh from a great big win out in Chicago on Superdelegates, joins us next to tell us all about it. Quick break, and we'll be right back. This is The Bill Press Show. 
Hey, what do you say? Here we are on a Tuesday, August 28. Big primaries today out in Arizona and Florida. Get out there and vote. Exercise your democratic right, the most important uh, right that we uh, and privilege that we have as Americans. We're coming to you live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., and our studio on Capitol Hill, where we're brought to you today by the International Association of Iron Workers, the good iron workers. Under the leadership of President Eric Dean, uh, they are building America's communities today and ready to rebuild America's infrastructure tomorrow if Congress uh, ever gets its uh, stuff together and passes a good infrastructure bill. And, of course, we salute uh, among all the iron workers, Randy Bryce, a uh, great candidate for Congress out in the state of uh, Wisconsin. Um, welcome to the program and welcome to Chairman Tom Perez, Chairman of the Democratic National Committee, Fresh back from Chicago. Mr. Chairman, always good to see you. Bill, it's great to be back with you and your listeners. Before we get back down into uh, Democratic politics, um, I'm sure over the years you had a chance to meet and to work with uh, a great American, Senator John McCain. We start talking about a Republican, not a Democrat. Well, I'm glad uh, you did, uh, Bill, because it it was a privilege. Uh, As you know, um, my original political mentor was Ted Kennedy. I had the privilege of working with him in the 90s and uh, for him. And, I mean, the fact, I talked to Vicki, Senator Kennedy's Mm -hmm. uh, wife, uh, on Sunday, and the fact that Senator Kennedy and Senator McCain passed away on the same day of the same illness, uh, you'll never be able to persuade me that that's a coincidence, yeah. Bill, quite yeah. frankly. and and Boy, that's like John Adams and Thomas Jefferson. It, it is. Dying on the yeah. same day. I yeah. mean, it's it's remarkable. And, and, you know, I had, when I was uh, in line to be the labor secretary, uh, this was still back in the day where you needed 60 votes. We had, I think, 54 Democrats. I needed six Republicans to get cloture. Mm. And uh, I got six. I didn't get seven. <laughs> I got six. That's <laughs> all you needed. That's right. Well, you know, they saw that I had taken on Joe Arpaio and I'd forced voting rights laws, and uh, they were afraid I was going to enforce the law again. And I don't apologize for enforcing the law. But one of the six people was uh, Senator McCain. And uh, I met with him. Uh, he had some advice for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he voted for me, and I'm convinced that you know Ted Kennedy was in that room when I was meeting with Senator McCain in 2013. And uh, well, he, the, and the so, ability to put country over party, uh, I mean, they did they did uh, immigration reform together, they did climate together, they they were able to just rise above the the partisan fray and and understand that principled compromise is not a dirty word. And so I'm I profoundly sad. At his passing, uh, I mean, I, I disagreed with him profoundly on so many things. I mean, we don't need to talk about Sarah right. Palin today. Um, I mean, that was a disastrous uh, judgment on his part. But you know what? Today is about celebrating uh, a life of service and purpose and sacrifice and uh, somebody who, again, put country over party. He and Senator Kennedy had a great friendship. And um and they both, uh, to use John McCain's phrase, right, believed in fighting for causes bigger than themselves. Absolutely. You know? And, uh, you know, Senator McCain spoke at uh, Senator Kennedy's memorial service, and he said, and I quote, I will go back to the Senate and I will try to be as persistent as Ted was and as passionate for the work. I know I'm privileged to serve there, and I think most of my colleagues would agree the place won't be the same without him, referring to Senator Kennedy. 
I would say the same thing today same thing about, about Senator McCain. The place won't be the same without him. So we have talked, uh, Mr. Chairman, over uh, the last uh, few months about uh, uh, movement to re- toward reform of the Democratic Party, which was launched uh, at the uh, the Democratic National Convention in in 2016, um, has uh, continued under the leadership. Certainly, is at, at times has been kind of a, a rocky road. Didn't happen overnight. And yet, uh, tell us about the changes that were adopted uh, in Chicago this last weekend. Well, I'm very excited about the changes we've adopted, and our goals were very simple. Our North Star was to grow the party, to unite the party, to restore people's trust in the Democratic Party. And this journey did start back in 2016, and and it started with Robbie Mook and Jeff Weaver, the the two campaign chairs for for Secretary Clinton and Senator Sanders. It continued with people like Larry Cohen, uh, our mutual friend, the former yep. head of the Communication Workers of America, and General <laughs> Mally Dillon, who chair, co-chaired the Unity Reform Commission. It continued with so many good Democrats coming together. And again, their, their goal was simple. Uh, we need to grow the party. We need to unite the party. And, and one of the most important ways that you grow the party, unite the party, is to restore people's trust in the party. And that's what everything was about. And you look at the end of the day, this was truly a team effort. I'm so grateful for everyone who contributed, uh, Senator Kane, Senator Sanders, Governor Dean, uh, so many others. There were so many folks who were strong uh, supporters of Secretary Clinton who were indispensable in the course of the deliberation. Mm -hmm. And there were so many pundits who wanted to write the story of the fractured Democratic Party limping across the finish line. <laughs> uh, the reality is you know, people like Randy Weingarten and Lee Saunders, uh, the labor movement was united in the the effort here. And you know, what, what somebody said to me at one point, and, and this was a sign that we were focused on the future, not the past. If you had beamed somebody in from Mars during the course of the, the deliberations of our Rules and Bylaws Committee, and for your listeners, that's the committee in the DNC that sure. takes up all the reforms. Right. It is a committee of about 30 people. It's uh, equally divided gender. It's it's uh, 50% are, are um, people of color, very diverse in every sense of the word. And if you would beam someone in from Mars as they were neck deep in the debate and you ask somebody, who'd you support? In 2016, you wouldn't have been able to tell the difference because it wasn't about it wasn't about the past. It was about the future. And I feel uh, in my job, you know, we've rebuilt our infrastructure, our organizing infrastructure, our technology infrastructure, our voter protection infrastructure, our millennial engagement infrastructure. This is about rebuilding the trust. And I think we came out of uh, the, the meeting exceedingly united. The vote was overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And, wasn't even, um, wasn't even it, close. In the end, yeah. the, the first vote we took was roughly 77% of the people on uh, voting wow. for reform. And then uh, Chairman uh, Don Fowler, the former chair of the party, mm-hmm. uh, he asked for us to suspend the next vote and come together in unity. And it was a real classy move on Chairman Fowler's uh, on part. And, and we came out of this incredibly united. And he, I'm, I'm excited. Uh, Don Fowler is one of the classiest people I, I, I know. And, uh, and he did Class rise, act. absolutely did rise to the occasion there, as well as his wife, Carol. Um, so the, the changes amount to what? Let's talk about superdelegates first. Sure. What does it mean now with superdelegates? So superdelegates will not vote on the first ballot unless the outcome has already been decided. So what you will see differently in 2020 is 
So they still have a role, right? They These have an senators, role. members yeah. of Congress, governors, uh, party officials. They still are there as superdelegates. They, they will attend the they will attend the convention. They'll they'll continue to vote on uh, the platform. They'll continue to vote on any rules that come up at the convention. They'll vote for the vice presidential nominee, but they will not vote for the presidential nominee on the first ballot unless. The outcome has already been decided. And and what this solves for, it, I think one of the most important uh, goals for us moving into 2020 is to make sure the process is fair for everybody involved. And if let's say we have 12 people running for president in mm-hmm. 2020, which is not an unrealistic no. assessment, <laughs> uh, parenthetically. Hey, hey, if you limit it to 12, <laughs> well, you're doing a good that, job. That may be a victory, <laughs> yes. Um, but if we had a dozen people running for president, all but one are going to be disappointed. And what my goal is, is at the end of this process, Bill, uh, we want everybody to feel like their candidate got a fair shake. And, and the, the problem with this past uh, system, and it's been in place since 1984, mm-hmm. and, and for your listeners' benefit, superdelegates have never affected who won on the first ballot. But right. they have affected people's sense of the fairness of the process. And, and yeah, you know, right. when you're a week out from the Iowa caucus, nobody has voted in America yet, and yet uh, one person's accumulated 300 delegates to the convention. People ask the question, "How did that happen? Exactly. Nobody's voted yet." No, exactly. And uh, and 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 it 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 undermines it, their it does, sense of confidence. The, it gives the impression of a stacked deck, right? It, a, a rigged process, it, and and it's very. I think it's extremely important to make that change. I'm we, very excited. Well, and 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 one other thing, though, obviously the superdelegate issue is very important. Yeah, it, it's. Equally important to understand the broader package of reforms. Yeah, we're trying to, to make about some of those. We're, we're we're making primaries more accessible, making uh, caucuses more accessible, and and by the way, there will be less caucuses because we I we wanted to make good, sure that good. there were more primaries. And for yeah. those states that are continuing with caucuses, you got to take steps to make sure that that shift worker can vote, that veteran who's deployed overseas can mm-hmm. vote, that person with a disability. Uh, can access the caucus site uh, because you know, all too frequently you had to win the boss lottery to be able to participate in a caucus. Our goal is to expand participation. Our, one of the provisions of our reform package is to encourage same-day voter registration. It's also to make sure that you don't have to change party affiliation nine months before a primary, and there is one state uh, yes, uh, that and we has know what that it requirement. Is. It's New York State. Larry Cohen was here just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you mentioned him. Uh, a good uh, friend. Great, great, great friend, great leader of the communication workers and, and chair of the Reform Commission, sitting right where you're sitting, and he pointed out again, to vote in next month's primary in New York, you would have had to have registered or join the Democratic Party last October. Correct. And this and that's going to Well, and the good news is this is going to change. There are already a number of states that have said we're moving from a caucus to a primary in 2020. So there will be less caucuses, more primaries mm-hmm. in 2020. There will be much more accessibility in all of the states whether you have a primary or a caucus. We should make it easier for people to participate, not harder for people to participate. That's the north star of what we've done, Bill. And again, uh, the team effort is what I am most uh, proud of because uh, when we are united, we are at our best. Uh, yeah, and I think we showed that again com- coming out of uh, coming out of Chicago. Uh, there's some political news today. There's some important primaries today. 
uh, in Arizona, uh, in Florida particularly. Uh, and some news that we were excited about yesterday came coming out of Texas, where um, Beto O'Rourke, within <laughs> one point of Senator Ted Cruz, if there were any victory that would, I think, put a smile on the face of the American people today, right. uh, this year, it would be seeing Ted Cruz bounced by the well, listen, dynamic Beto O'Rourke, whom you must know well, well. Oh, I worked with him when I was Labor Secretary. He is dynamic. He has... Uh, th- he has a 254 county strategy. He's in every county. He's been in, that in every state. county he in Texas. He is tireless. Yeah. Um, and and here's here's that's the good news, and here's the better news. Across the country, we have opportunity, Bill. Um, I I mean I come to you today with sobriety, born out of the fact that our democracy is on fire, and it's a five alarm fire because of the this president. But I come to you with unrelenting optimism because we are competing everywhere. We have opportunities, not only in in Texas. And, I, and when I was down there a few weeks ago, people were telling me they see Beto O'Rourke yard signs in uh, very conservative parts of the state that for which it was frankly hazardous to your health <laughs> to put a Democratic yard sign in front of your home. I see that there. I see opportunities in Arizona with Kirsten Cinema in the Senate seat. Mm-hmm. We have an opportunity to, to um, flip a, a couple House seats in Arizona. We have opportunities. I was just in, obviously, Illinois. We're going to take out Bruce Rauner. Sunday, the day after I left Chicago, I was in Wisconsin with Tony Evers. He's a spectacular candidate for governor. Mm-hmm. He he is he is a workhorse. He's not a show horse. If you're looking for sizzle, he's not the guy. If you're looking for substance. If you're looking for someone who's going to fight for education, fight for health care. He's a cancer survivor who has who is the superintendent of, of education for the state. And he understands that education is the key to upward mobility, access to opportunity everywhere. And and you you, you look there, you look at Gretchen Whitmer in, in Michigan. You you look at um, uh, Ohio, where we're Rich Cordray. You look at Maine, where we have an opportunity to take the governorship. Arizona, uh, we have an opportunity in Idaho to elect the first Native American mm-hmm. uh, governor, mm-hmm. Paulette Jordan. I mean, there's opportunity everywhere. Florida's a huge uh, day today and in, in the governor's race, and uh, we've got a number of really good candidates. And, and what excites me is that uh, there is, I'm, I'm 100% certain that coming out of that primary, People will uh, unite. I think we can take the Senate and the House. I think we can but, take— Whoa, so, so do you, you believe this year we can Democrats can get back control of the House and the Senate as and well? And here's how we do it. Uh, Tennessee, I was there two weeks ago. Phil Bredesen is consistently up in the polls. He is the, the former governor. In a, in a year where health care is on the ballot everywhere— Phil Bredesen was the health care governor running against a Tea Party zealot who wanted to eliminate uh, the Affordable Care Act, voted 50 some odd times to repeal over. I think 11 rural hospitals have closed in Tennessee in the last two Mm. years because of their ideological refusal to expand Medicaid. Phil Bredesen can win that seat and he will win that seat. Arizona with Kirsten Sinema, uh, a real opportunity there. Jackie Rosen in Nevada. In Nevada. And then yeah. you have um, these other races where is Beto the underdog? Absolutely. Um, but Beto is running a spirited campaign. And, you know, Ted Cruz, undeniably, Bill, has more name recognition. And that's precisely his problem <laughs> because to know Ted Cruz is not to like Ted Cruz. And, and here's, a, here's a sleeper race that people don't talk about enough. 
and we've invested in. Mississippi. Mississippi. Mike Espy. We we have a situation in Former Mississippi. Former member of Congress. We have a yes. He yeah. was the ag secretary ag se- right. under okay. uh, Clinton. He was yeah. the first. Um, he was the first African American elected post Reconstruction in um, in the uh, in Mississippi. Uh, he's he's running for the seat that Thad Cochran vacated, and it's a three person primary, and it's a very similar situation. To what happened in uh, Alabama? I was just because going to say it. If nobody gets fifty yeah. percent on November sixth, they go to a runoff, and he has a really good chance of winning. So we have that, and and we obviously have the two opportunities to make history. You know, in Georgia, where we've invested, and so many others in mm-hmm. Stacey Abrams. Uh, now we're moving from obviously the Senate to governor's races, yeah, but right. she's just a spectacular candidate. And in my home state of Maryland, uh, we can make some history with Ben Jealous. The, the playing field is wide, and, and the most important thing for your listeners to do is to make sure they get out there and vote, because when Democrats vote, we win. When we continue to make sure we're, 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 we're organizing and we're, we're talking about what we're fighting for, and we're, we're fighting for health care, we're, we're fighting for the right to organize a union, we're fighting for women's reproductive health, we're fighting for education, we're fighting for immigrants, we're, we're fighting for an America that works for everybody. Well, that's, that's important because... Um for for many reasons. But, you know, there is this rap that the Democrats don't have a message in 2018 other than anti-Trump. We're not Trump. We hate Trump. But that's really not enough to win on. Uh, but I hear you're saying oh, we're fighting that, for an America that, that works for that, everybody. That <laughs> Democrats ha- have a lot more to offer than just not being Donald Trump. Well, absolutely. And again, if, if any of uh, the listeners today, if you if you have a pre-existing condition, or know someone who does, your health care is on the ballot in November. Uh, if you know someone struggling with opioid addiction, uh, your health care is on the ballot in November. Uh, if you care about public education, the reason the incumbent governor of Arizona is in trouble, and now I'm talking about governorship in Arizona, yeah. is because they have absolutely not invested in public education. And People see that. You, you saw it in Oklahoma. You saw it in West Virginia. You saw it in, in um, Arizona. These wildfires have become prairie fires for, for opportunity because education is these, one of the most important instruments of social mobility that this country has ever known. And Republicans continue to absolutely gut investments in education. You look at this. We need an education secretary that actually believes in public education. Uh, yeah, and, rather, and, <laughs> rather than arming teachers, right? Well, yeah, and and uh, and surrounding herself with people from the for-profit world of education who have been pillaging people. Our guest, the uh, great chairman of the Democratic National Committee, Tom Perez, you, can also, you should find out more about all these races we've been talking about around the country. Uh, and how to um, help yourself and join the cause at Democrats.org. Mr. Chairman, a couple of other races I just want to mention because um, friends of mine and very important, too. In California, we're going to have a new Democratic governor, Gavin Newsom. Uh, and in Colorado, I think a new Democratic governor, Jared, Jared Polis. Polis. Yeah, Absolutely. Worked, uh, great, both of them, great friends and great people. And, you know, great uh, leaders. And the important thing, the reason I talk not only about the Senate and the House, but about elections up and down the ballot is because this is a 12-year election cycle. The next governor of Georgia, the next governor of Michigan, the governors across this country are going to preside over redistricting. Mm-hmm. We picked a 
terrible year in 2010 to get our butts kicked. And we are paying the consequences to this day. The, you see the partisan gerrymander. A court in North Carolina I just, just yesterday yep. uh, struck down once again uh, the federal maps. The challenge we have here is the United States Supreme Court uh, is not going to help. Uh, they, they had an opportunity in the Wisconsin case to step up, and they sidestepped it, and then Kennedy retires. And and so the most important thing we can do to take back our democracy is to elect Democrats up and down the ballot. That's why we've made uh, substantial investments across this country, and our opportunities exist, whether it's South Dakota. A guy named Billy Sutton, he's down three mm-hmm. in the polls right now. Best right? candidate yeah. they've had for governor there, Tom Daschle told me, since the mid-'70s. So again, and and our investments at the DNC, we have organizers all across Indian country because you know what? When Tim Johnson won the Senate seat there and Tom Daschle won, they were turning out the vote in um, in, in Indian country. And that's a huge part of what we're doing. Talk to soybean farmers. They're taking it on the chin from this president, a president that they uh, in large measure voted for, and they understand that uh, he's not doing them any favors. So we've got to organize everywhere. We've got to get that vote out everywhere. We can't sit down. And I'll give you one more data point. In, in 2002, we had about a 27 million vote drop-off from 2000. From the presidential election to the midterm, there was about a 27 million vote drop-off. Whoa. And... But here's it gets worse. In 2014, there was a 47 million vote drop off from 2012, the lowest turnout since 1940 or 1942. That's why our signature initiative bill is I will vote. And you can get on I will vote dot com. It can it'll tell you um, where to vote. Uh, and we need people to commit to vote, commit to register to vote, commit to get out that vote commit to protect the vote. That's what we're doing, folks. We can't but, have this happen again. But I have seen signs, and I know you have, that the energy and the momentum are on our side this time. So let's Absolutely. hope we can get that voter turnout up to where it's got to be. I mean, you've seen that in some of these special elections. You've told us Absolutely. before how many flipped already. Yeah, 43 from- seats have fit, flipped from um, red to blue in places like Oklahoma, Kentucky, uh, right. Across the the map, and and we have the most recent election in Ohio, the the twelfth congressional district, which is a district Republicans have held for thirty five years. Uh, Has and that been decided? Jump ball. I think they're still doing. I think they're still counting ballots. Out by the time there, right? they count it, it'll be, uh, it'll be the election. The, right, so right. Uh, don't take any curtain measurements, Mr. <laughs> Balderson, if you end up uh, being declared the winner. Um, but the point about that is, there's something like seventy congressional seats more competitive than Ohio 12. And and the point that you made cannot be overstated. Uh, the enthusiasm on our side is absolutely off the charts. It's, it's borne out in the turnout. Mm-hmm. It's been, uh, I mean, that's how we've been able to win seats that, I mean, Connor Lamb's race was right. a great example of that in Pennsylvania, and that was a great win for the union movement. Let me, uh, let me ask you quickly, because we're almost out of time. A disturbing reports last week that once again the DNC was a target of some hacking uh, attempts to hack. Uh, did they succeed? Who were they? Right. What do you know? Well, one, Just about a minute. Sure. Uh, cyber security, cyber readiness is a huge part of what we have to do, and, and we've been able to bring in a really good team. Uh, when uh, the, the good news is that when we got the information that uh, there might be an effort uh, 
to mm-hmm. do a fishing expedition on our voter file, our crown jewel, uh, all of our systems responded. And it turned out to be a false alarm. But talk to any first responder. When you get that alarm bell, oh, yeah. you yeah. always act uh, as if it's the real McCoy. And and as a result of that, we were able to, to put those new systems in place. And I'm very proud of our cyber team. Uh, make no mistake about it. We're not getting any help from the federal government. And right. so we've got to go at it on our own. And so does state, uh, Secretaries of State as well. well. Thanks to your leadership. That's, those systems were in place, uh, Mr. Chairman. And uh, congratulations again on a big victory out, out in Chicago. Thank you. Uh, he's already been on CNN this morning. Now he's here. I don't know where he's going next, but... Uh, I always... A lot of time for bunnies. you, Bill. I Thanks, always Tom. have time for you and your show. Hey, friends. Don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show. Or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show. And on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Uh, last time we checked, the flag is at half-mast still uh, over the White House. Uh, we don't know whether Donald Trump's going to have another change of mind uh, this morning, but we're keeping our eye on it. Hello, everybody. What do you say? It is Tuesday, August 28th. Great to see you today. Thanks for joining us here on The Bill Press Show, live from our nation's capital. With all the news of the day coming your way online, on television, on radio, and look forward to hearing from you on what you think about the uh, big events of the day. Uh, Yes, indeed, the president uh, finally again uh, changing his mind and lowering the flag yesterday, uh, and also even releasing sort of a half-assed statement uh, about about John McCain after getting so much pressure from uh, fellow Republicans saying, come on, stop being so small-minded, stop being so petty at least recognize, uh, even if you disagree with him, uh, the great uh, service that John McCain has given to his country. Uh, meanwhile, big primaries today uh, in Arizona and in um, Florida particularly. We'll be keeping our eye on those. And news that Beto O'Rourke is now within one point of Ted Cruz out in Texas. That would be the greatest victory of all on these in these midterm elections. Um, joining us to talk about John McCain, another news of the day, now from Governing Magazine, staff writer Graham Weiss joining us here in studio. Uh, good morning, Graham, good morning. Nice to see nice you. Nice to see you too. Thanks for joining us. Happy to be here. We're always glad to welcome our friends, <laughs> even 24 hours later. <laughs> oh, no. I knew that was Thank coming. you for being flexible. Uh, I, inside, I, you know, I, I'll inside, atone for that. Inside joke. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, uh, I, uh, I, 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 I'm a big investor in uh, and believer in alarm clocks. You and so. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> and I am, a, a, you know, I have a renewed commitment to them. <laughs> yeah. okay. So we've got lots to talk about here with Graham Vice and with all of you. We'll get right into it. But first, it is is the full court press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. You know what today is, Bill? It's August 28th, which means it is the first day of fall. 
Well, Wait a minute. not exactly. Not if you look at the calendar. It's right. not the first day of fall, but one of the first indicators that fall is here begins today. What? Starbucks is putting pumpkin spice lattes on no. the menu. Really? You know it. It is the earliest uh, calendar day that they put them on the menu. But it is sort of one of the first things that people say, like, hey, autumn is here. We can drink pumpkin spice yeah. things. Whoa. We can eat pumpkin spice things. It's on the menu today. Again, this is the earliest that they've ever made the flavor uh, available. Uh, but, look, people want it. So why not? They're putting it out there. Yeah. Autumn this, in August. Yeah, this is like. <laughs> it was like 95 <laughs> degrees yesterday. This yeah. is like putting Christmas decorations up before Thanksgiving. Right? Yeah. I mean, come on. We're rushing the seasons here. The people have spoken. The I people thought maybe want you were talking about the, the, the sign of fall. Is this moon? What is up with this Yo. crazy moon? Yeah, the moon's been never, nuts. Is there something going on with the moon? Have I missed I don't, this? No, it's been just spectacular the last yeah, couple of nights. It's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And this morning. Walking into the studio, there was so wow. bright in the morning. It was, the sun was up, but incredible. Yeah, I don't know nuts. What it is, so. so we we talked a lot about the Roseanne show and how poorly that mm-hmm. went and how it yeah. got canceled oh, yeah. after her very controversial statements. We we did know that ABC is going to do a spinoff called The Connors, which focuses on the family from Roseanne. It just won't have Roseanne. Well, John Goodman, who stars as Roseanne's mm-hmm. husband. Uh, gave an interview yesterday to talk about it, and he confirmed they're going to kill her off. He says, <laughs> he says they're just going to kill her off. Because that's, that's, that was the question. How are you going to have a spinoff about Roseanne's family without Roseanne? He goes, oh, yeah, we're just, uh, just going to kill her off. He says, quote, I guess it was an unknown before now. Uh, I play her husband, and I guess I'll be pretty mopey and pretty sad because his wife is dead. Which was the first time that anybody confirmed that that's how they're going to do it. So, uh... It's a real advertisement. I'm really looking forward to that. Roseanne That's, is dead. Yeah. Long live Roseanne, I guess. Yeah. Right. This is sort of a, sort of, a, sort of a, a morbid. sequel to yeah. the Sopranos or yeah. something. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> yeah, we, no word on how she's killed off, but we just know she is no longer with us. Oh, God. This is the Bill Press Show. Here we are on a Tuesday, August 28th. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Bill Press Show. Great to see you today as we reach out to you coast to coast from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. With all the news of the day, thank you so much for joining us online on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. On the radio on the great WCPT out in the greater Chicago area and, of course, Coast to coast on Free Speech TV as well. Big primaries today in Arizona and Florida. Uh, the Senate race in Texas getting to be a real uh, dog race yeah. here, be- a horse race between Beto O'Rourke and Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz now only one point ahead of challenger Beto O'Rourke, probably the most exciting Senate race in the entire country. Uh, and on many fronts, uh, too, today, more tributes pouring in. Uh, for John McCain, even the president of the United States, was finally forced uh, to um, join those offering words of praise for John McCain. And he finally reluctantly agreed to have the flag over the White House fly half-staff until this weekend, uh, the way it is flying on every other federal building. Uh, Keeping track of all the news of the day now for Governing Magazine, 
Graham Weiss, our good friend here in studio with us. Hey, Graham, good to see nice you. Nice to see you too. You know, I thought it was sort of surreal to uh, to, to notice that th- there was more fulsome praise for John McCain from Tom Perez, the chairman of the Democratic National Committee, than there was from the White House in many respects. And it I, was almost like, go ahead. Sorry. I was looking at some polling yeah. recently, which sort of speaks to this, which is that uh, in a recent Fox News poll. Uh, there were 60 percent of Democrats who said that, you know, McCain uh, had, a, had, a, had a popular, a favorable opinion of McCain. And among Republicans, that number, only 41 percent. So, so John McCain's popularity is actually significantly higher with Democrats uh, as, you know, as he leaves this earth than, uh, than with Republicans. Well, um, not surprised, really, because I think so much of the reaction to John McCain's death uh, has illustrated the vast difference today, not just between John McCain and Donald Trump, but between what the Republican Party used to be not that long ago and what the Republican Party is today under Donald Trump. Right. Yeah. I mean, and I think, you know, what's what's been interesting is, uh, you know, there is this, I think, a sense that that John McCain, um, you know, if you look at his voting record, if you look at, uh, you know, his support for the Iraq war, his his hawkish foreign policy, his choice of Sarah Palin uh, to be his vice presidential running mate when he sought the White House in 2008, you know, there's a real case to be made that his substantive policy legacy is not particularly distinct or different from that of the Republican Party, but whether it was a sense of um, a sense of kind of good faith and uh, and respect for the other side, whether it was uh, his, um, you know, his his steadfast opposition to torture, uh, his support for immigration reform, his um, his, you know, his at least acknowledgement and and some effort on on the front of climate change, even if uh, it never really yielded much. Um, You know, there there are a host of issues where where John McCain was different and was, uh, you know, someone who uh, who I think many Democrats we've seen in the past. Uh, however, however long it's been, 48 hours uh, or more, uh, you know, who basically have, 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 have felt sad and, and, and felt like something is, has been lost, you know, that, that McCain has passed. Well, one thing, again, as you point out, and, and as we have here, too, in the last couple of days, he, he was not, let's, right, he's, we're not talking sainthood. He was not no. a perfect yeah. man. He was not a perfect legislator. Um, he took some positions which I strongly disagreed with. Um, Sarah Palin was a colossal right. mistake in judgment, right? Uh, and so you can you can easily point out all the things that he, he did wrong or didn't get right, let's say. Um, but still, he he was he believed in the institution of the Senate. There's no question. And he believed in making it work. And he believed in uh, he was willing to make sacrifices and make compromises to make it work and and reach out and try to get things done. Right. Which is so different from so many Republicans today yeah. in the Congress, and then this colossal difference between him uh, and his approach to governing and that of Donald Trump. In fact, I mean, I think that it's hard to say that the mask has been ripped off Donald Trump, but I think we've once again seen in his response to John McCain's death and illness, by the way, right, refusing to mention his name when he signed the John McCain defense authorization mm-hmm. bill, mm-hmm. right? Uh, putting the, insisting that the flag was down for half a day and that's enough. I mean, right. one day, half mass, that's enough. And then now let's put it back up, right? 
ignore what everybody else was doing. His refusal to issue the statement that White House aides had drafted for him. Praising yeah, that John was McCain an amazing bit of reporting. Until yesterday, right? Yeah. And so just insult after insult, which just really, again, unmasking him as the small-minded, petty man that he really is. And and, and I think it, it speaks to all of the things that are um, unambiguously honorable about John McCain, which is to say his his service in Vietnam, his his uh, his um, time as a POW in which he endured torture and refused to be released until, uh, you know, his comrades were, you know, the, the fact that as we've been discussing, he 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 did at various points uh, stand up to some of the more um, pernicious, you know, sort of xenophobic uh, nativist forces uh, in the Republican Party. Um, again, you know, you, there there's a, a legitimate critique to be made to say that some of it was more style than substance. But the, the thing about Trump, as you point out, is that he, Trump doesn't care about any of that. In fact, those many of those forces that John McCain was trying to keep at bay are the forces that Trump cautious, consciously cultivated in order to, you know, achieve the presidency. And I think, uh, you know, it, it says so much that, you know, the president couldn't um, couldn't sort of rise above his 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 disagreements and his personal resentment uh, of McCain uh, to sort of acknowledge that that this was someone who meant something to the country uh, even beyond his his uh, his particular uh, you know politics or or policy record and and yeah I think you're absolutely right it, it certainly reveals a great deal uh, uh, to me one of the most striking differences is that John McCain famously uh, said on many occasions you know that we have to um, believe in and fight for uh, a cause that is bigger than ourselves, right? And for Donald Trump, there is no cause bigger than himself, right? And indeed, you know, part of what um, what I've been thinking about the past um, few days uh, was the the campaign that sort of brought John McCain to the uh, the national consciousness in 2000, which you and I actually discussed for a piece I did for the New Republic a few months ago. And you know, I think that was an example of the 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 sort of moment where. Um, McCain arrived on the national scene. You know, he 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 was he was running for president in two thousand, and you know the story of his uh, his heroism in the war. You know, really made people feel as though perhaps he could be a different kind of politician. And and you know uh, the other uh, interesting development you know to, that's been um, unfolding since his passing is that he he had maintained a, you know, remarkably good relationships with the Washington press corps. Such such that uh, you know the coverage of his death, you know, in some ways has been uh, you know uh, even more laudatory uh, than than you might expect, uh, you know. But uh, but it spoke to uh, something that he 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 genuinely, I think, a, a lot of politicians will sort of look at uh, you know and and could stand to emulate, which is a kind of uh, a kind of candor, a kind of willingness to engage with reporters, um, a willingness to. Um, to say things that were, you know, that, that, that were controversial or that were sort of um, seemed like they weren't scripted, you know. Yeah, I think that's I mean, a big part of his legacy, in other words. Yes, absolutely. I mean, he he famously referred to um, the media as his base. <laughs> right. Uh, and and I, I think one could uh, legitimately say that collectively the Washington press corps has gone over the top in its coverage of and positive coverage and praise of, yeah. of laudatory 
response, uh, uh, you know. It's been pretty glowing the past few days. It's been very glowing, right? But in a sense, he earned it because he did treat reporters with respect. And I mean, I, you and I did talk about this. I'm guilty. Uh, In 2000, you know, he was, uh, I mean, so accessible, so available, so colorful, so quotable. Right. uh, That you wanted to be around him. And, and, and he also had an ability, which uh, it wasn't just that he was, I made this point yesterday, that he was willing to meet with reporters and talk to reporters about it. He had the ability to just to, he was so his knowledge was encyclopedic about the dis, di issues that the Senate was dealing with, particularly on the foreign policy level. Yeah. So you could ask him any question, and he was he would have something to say about it, even if he were just saying I don't know anything about it, but here's my opinion or something. Yeah. Right. And it was a candor that was lacking in in any other politician I've ever covered. Right. And compared to George W. Bush at the time. The idea that you could get the governor of Texas on a bus like you could with John McCain. Right. And, and have, he didn't do anything like that. No. And have an hour where you could ask and throw any question at all. Yeah. Unheard of. George yeah. Bush would have been incapable of, of handling that. Right. And one of the things you said that I thought was sort of telling is that, I mean, I think – so, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the press has sort of um, – there's been a good discussion, I think, in part uh, between kind of an ascendant left and, and liberals, uh, you know, within the Democratic coalition over the past few days about how, you know, there, there, there is something pernicious about the idea that a politician who can be charming and can provide a lot of access can essentially uh, persuade the press to overlook uh, right. a, a host of of sort of flaws and and the ways in which John McCain was actually no different than your average Republican uh, and 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 I think that's sort of the harshest criticism of what the how the press has treated him is that is that you know from the perspective of of a liberal or or a leftist who might say you know that McCain's policies were harmful to the most marginalized among us who were harmful to uh, you know the people who were casualties of the various wars he championed, who uh, you know who, who basically uh, you know suffered under Republican governance. Uh, that the Washington press corps essentially turned a blind eye to that because they were so charmed by him. But I think the thing you said also was great, or and was great in the sense that it was it was candid, which is you said to me, you know. If if a politician, you know, that's sort of the political reality that that you know, a, a, if a politician is able to provide that access and provide that, uh, you know, that sort of accessibility, and they then get more favorable coverage, I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, in a sense, it, it's, it's like a, it's something to you know, poli- all politicians should study, I suppose. Well, yeah, in a sense, it's like John F. Kennedy, right? I mean, John F. Kennedy got great press because he was so. Clever. He was so attractive. He was so accessible, and um, this, this news conferences and whatever you know, um, and that's certainly, and 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 the media overlooked a lot of right his failings right. as a legislator right. uh, in getting things done right. right. And I suppose and I guess John, what I would say is and, uh, LBJ is the one who got things done, right. not John F. Kennedy. Right. But look at the look at the difference right. away the media and, it, and it's them. the responsibility so of us. I would say Donald Trump ought to maybe take a lesson from John McCain well, right. and John F. Kennedy. Right. Right. You don't really get good press coverage when all you do is attack the media, and right. 
day after day after day, call them the enemy of the American people. Right. And the, the responsibility to kind of um, make sure you're holding politicians accountable is is that of the press, not the you know it, it, it's it's in a politician's interest to, to be as accessible and charming as, as possible. So what do we see for the rest of the week now? The, the I think is it tomorrow is the lying in state. That's in right, the Arizona. Friday. Capital. Well, Friday, right? Or, or, no, or oh, in Arizona, in that's Arizona right. Arizona capital. Right. Yeah. With uh, Vice President Joe Biden uh, asked by John McCain to mm-hmm. speak. Uh, and then we moved to Washington where the uh, Lions stayed in the Rotunda That's on right. Friday. And the service on Saturday? Yep, at the National Cathedral here in here in Washington. I mean, it's going to be a enormous uh, media event uh, over the weekend. And, and uh, we know that uh, both President, former President George W. Bush and former President Barack Obama uh, will be giving eulogies of McCain at McQu- McCain's request. Uh, President Trump will not be attending, I think, also at the request of uh, at least mm-hmm. Team McCain. Uh, and, uh, and I think John McCain and probably himself John McCain himself. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and and I think I was reading last night that the, the pallbearers for the ceremony will be, you know, I think it's Biden and people like Sheldon, Senator Sheldon Whitehouse from uh, Rhode Island, a Democrat, you know, so it's there's it's, it's going to be an enormous sort of bipartisan uh, moment for the Washington establishment uh, here in town. And, and, and you know, uh, again, there will be people who say that this is a kind of um, pernicious, uh, you know, celebration of a politician, you know, that, that sort of elides the harm that he caused. But I think I, I think it, it, it my read on it is that it's it's got to be a balancing act. There's just no question that some some of the things he stood for um, were honorable and his and his service was honorable. And so I think that, you know, it's a, it's a complicated uh, legacy for sure. And and uh, and certainly I, I buy into this idea that it's it's hard to imagine we're going to see someone of his like again in the, in the near future. Do you, uh, as Senator Collins said, you know, the last of the Senate lions is gone, yeah. you know, which is sort of her own admission that well, I was thinking, she doesn't meet the test and nobody who, else who does. Who would it be? I mean, who, I mean, you know, you, you've watched uh, Capitol Hill for, for a long time. I'm trying to think. Uh, you know, it, there's certainly no one, no one of that stature that. No, I have a lot of regard for. Uh, you, you mentioned Sheldon Whitehouse. Yeah. Uh, a lot of regard for Jeff Merkley from uh, from 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 Oregon. Um, it's not to say there aren't quality people. There are quality people there, but there's nobody I don't think on the stature of a Ted Kennedy or a John McCain. Right. But so uh, Chuck Schumer has uh, raised a very interesting point, the suggestion. Uh, that it's time to, and it's long past time, I think, to rename the Russell office building. Right. And, and the history su- of that is that Russell was uh, tied to... Yeah. Here, In fact, here he was making this uh, uh, um, suggestion yesterday. I've always felt that we could more appropriately name the Richard Russell office building, and John McCain is the perfect person for that. Uh, yeah, I think when we're tearing down Confederate statues that we could uh, change the name of the Russell Office Building, an opponent of all civil rights legislation for the time he was in the Senate. Right. Uh, and why not for John McCain? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 one thing that I was struck by is... Hard for Republicans to oppose that, it <laughs> seems to me. But yeah, maybe that would be i mean that would be remarkable if if there was some sort of like internal congressional republican revolt against the idea of naming a building after mccain i would not be surprised <laughs> i really wouldn't i really yeah. would i mean you, you know you've done this earlier republicans 
I'll tell you one thing, Donald Trump won't that's, want that's it. That's what right. I'm saying. There's no question. Whoa. That's what I'm saying. He's yeah. not going to want it. And like even yesterday, right, Jim Inhofe, which yes. we talked about the Jim Inhofe stuff, he, he was asked about whether or not we should name, rename the, the Russell building after McCain. And he said, uh, that's something that I would probably be for, but I don't have an official statement on that yet. Meaning, these guys are all waiting to see what Trump has to say. Right, what the politics are. They're mm-hmm. waiting to hear what Trump says. Yeah. And you got to remember, again, as, as we pointed out, like, Republicans, the Republican ba- the Donald Trump base, who is now the Republican, they did not like John McCain. No. no. And you can't make them. I mean, no, they, yeah. no. So who knows how that's going to play out again? And it just comes back to the first thing I said when I was in here. And, and frankly, what Tom Perez uh, was illustrating in the, in the past you know, hour, which is that in some ways, if you look at the public polling, John McCain <laughs> is embraced more by the Democratic tribe in this yeah. country than the Republican tribe. That's that's where we've ended up, you know. This guy whose who's voting record, again, was more or less a Republican voting record, except for some notable and significant exceptions, you know. You know, um, the other thing sort of related to that is whatever happens with the Mueller report, I, I believe the events of last week mark the beginning of the end of the Trump presidency with Michael Cohen, Paul Manafort, Alan Weisenberg, I mean, Weisenberg, I mean, everybody's getting either they're flipping or they're getting immunity and they're closing in on Yeah, it certainly Trump. felt like a moment. Okay, maybe that's just wishful thinking on my part, but it's a change <laughs> of thinking on my part. Uh, I really thought he'd last the whole four years. Um, but if it goes in the other direction, and if Robert Mueller does issue um, a condemnatory report, and if Democrats have now taken over at least the House, maybe the Senate too, and and the, uh, or even if they haven't taken over the Senate, um, but it, it goes to Congress that it might it could get to the point where, as under Richard Nixon, Repu- some Republican senators were willing to stand up and go to the White House and say, "Mr. President, you know we just can't support you any longer, right? right. For the good of the country, you've got to step down uh, now." When I'm thinking about which Republicans would be capable of doing that, a John McCain would have. I think that's a plausible. I think that's plausible. Right. I don't see anybody else. Not Mitch McConnell. Not Ted Cruz. Not Marco Rubio. Right. I mean, I mean the the sort of not Lindsey Graham. No, appa- pre- no. I mean that his statement this this week was amazing. Yeah. So what, what, he he on Jeff Sessions he he had he had said yeah. a year ago that basically some some sort of dramatic statement about how it would be, you know be held to pay if if Jeff Sessions was removed and now he's essentially right. saying the president should have an attorney general who supports him and I think you know after the election there there's a good chance we'll still have a new attorney general. Uh, so so I think and in some ways the Lindsey Graham point is uh, is interesting in the context of McCain. You know, here's a guy who was sort of McCain's, uh, you know, sidekick and 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 best friend uh, on total, on total. Capitol Hill, and uh, and 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 their friendship is is a lovely thing. But but uh, but but it, it doesn't look as though Lindsey Graham is going to kind of follow in that tradition, uh, at least based on this past uh, week. I, I'd have to say that their friendship was phony on Lindsey Graham's interesting. part. Because of the fact that now he's Donald Trump's best friend, if 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 John McCain were really his best friend, how could he possibly be going playing golf and buddy buddy and having dinners with Donald Trump after the way Donald Trump has treated John McCain? Right. 
Unless in life, he, in life, and in death. Yeah. What's the I, saying about Washington D.C.? If you want a best friend, you get want, a dog. Get, get a, a dog. dog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think there was much loyalty there on Lindsey Graham's part. No. Yeah. It's really, yeah. really d- d- disgusting. So John McCain, McCain did not go out quietly. He issued, a, wrote a letter to the American people. Uh, among other things, he said, uh, you know, that we weaken our greatness when we hide behind walls rather than tear them down. Right. Yeah, I mean, I found that statement to be kind of a, a Rorschach test in that he certainly, I think what's it's very clear what he's saying there. Uh, it is not calling out the president by name. It is, uh, it is sort of about the bare minimum you could do as a critic of Trump within the Republican Party, but it is more than most of them have done. <laughs> and it certainly, you know, uh, you know, is going to be interpreted as, as a, a parting shot at, at, at the president. It was president. just sort of one final poke, yeah. right, uh, at, at, at Donald Trump, which, uh, which he couldn't resist. Yeah. And I think the question becomes like, you know, does the party ever move back in the direction of McCain uh, or is it Trump's party for good? I mean, and, and you know, I, I, I don't know that Democrats I, and progressives well, can no, feel good about the answer. I, I don't know the question. answer to that, but I think it's Trump's party for good. I, I think the Republican Party is uh, that we once knew. How do they go back? Is, uh, yeah. They would only go back if there were more John McCain's who came up. Yeah. Who said enough's enough? Let's forget that part of our history, as if it never happened. It's going to be hard to wipe out, hard well, to wipe out. Yeah, and hard for some of these people who have climbed on board, right, now to reverse themselves and going back. Like again, we've talked about a Lindsey Graham or a Marco Rubio or the the people who yeah. at one time said never, never, never Trump, right, right. and then suddenly become uh, Trump's BFFs, right. And and I, the reason in part is because. At the moment, uh, the Trump approach worked for them politically so and electorally. So I think the, the other answer is they would just have to lose a lot. Democrats would just have to, you know, beat them. And so in some ways, you know, people who are rooting for a different Republican Party, you know, first they're going to have to have severe and persistent losses to Democratic candidates. It's hard. It's To me, it's hard to... Um... <laughs> to just fathom the reality that... In the last six months or so, so we see the the death of former First Lady Barbara Bush. That's right. And the Bush family says, we do not want the President of the United States, who's a member of her party, at her funeral. Mm-hmm. And now the death of former presidential candidate, former Senator John McCain, and John McCain himself saying, I do not want the President of the United States at my funeral. I mean, that's stunning. It's stunning. It's 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 un, you know. I mean, I, I don't know if it's unprecedented, but it's certainly it's, unusual. It's certainly, un, I yeah. Has, yeah. I mean, I don't know how far back in history right. we I have don't, to I go to that. Um, but but and the, again, these are members of the Republican yeah. Party who said he is not the kind of Republican that I want at my funeral. Yeah. The last thing I'd say is I am. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see, and and I, I have to say I'm looking forward to seeing. Um, to watching both what George W. Bush and Barack Obama will say at the funeral. I mean, Bush has a complicated history with McCain. He ran what I think is fair to say is a racist campaign against Absolutely. him in South yeah. Carolina. Yeah, I kind of wanted to I wanted to mention that you know George W. Oh, Bush yeah. said was far crueler to John McCain than Donald Trump ever was. Like when you look at what he did in South Carolina, like that right. was. 
vicious. One of the, one of the um, or his allies. I mean, you know, it's you well, know, yeah, he's a candidate. yeah, exactly. He's a candidate. It's his. I have he to tell that. you, one of the one of the um, most powerful memories I have of John McCain is in two thousand in Philadelphia at the convention. Mm-hmm. Uh, after that, after Bush end, had won the primary, right? After yeah. he'd won the primary, at the end of that whole process. Uh, a small group of us had dinner with John McCain yeah, you and told me Cindy story. McCain, and he talked about the primary, and he talked about South Carolina and what they did to South Carolina, to him in South Carolina, accusing him of being of, ha- of having this uh, daughter out of wedlock, you know, black daughter out of wedlock, the whole thing went on and on. It was just ugly, ugly stuff. And uh, and John McCain sitting at that restaurant in Philadelphia, about half a dozen of the reporters, and his wife, weeping, his tears rolling down his cheeks wow. as he was tol- telling about how how badly that hurt him yeah. uh, as a candidate. You know, well, yeah. yeah, that was a turning point for the campaign. Oh yeah, that was a, because mean, John McCain beat the hell out of Bush. Yeah, eighteen points in New Hampshire, in New Hampshire, yeah. which and, was where that sort of storied Straight Talk Express. Yeah, moment right, took place. Right. The Bush campaign was on fire, and that's where they got it back by running a a full on racist ad in South Carolina. Where, uh, as a South Carolinian, I can tell you that plays pretty well. Yeah, right. And I think, although I don't, I think with the help of uh, Ralph Reed, as I recall. Oh yeah. Uh, Look, all these people that you still see out there, Ralph Reed, Carl Rove, mm-hmm. all these guys were behind that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Graham, thanks so much for coming in today. Thank you very much. And, nice to and see you. Uh, congratulations on the new job. Thanks with, very uh, much. Governing magazine. We'll talk more about some we of these, will. these governors that we ought to be watching today. States and back. cities and, and uh, legislatures and city councils. A lot of interesting stuff going Absolutely. on. Absolutely. The laboratories of democracy, <laughs> they're called. All right. Thanks, Bill. Graham Vice from Governing. It's governing.com. And uh, Andrew Desiderio from the Daily Beast joins us next. On all the goings on here just down the street at the Capitol. We'll be right back. This is the Bill Press Show. On a Tuesday, August 28. Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome back to the uh, Bill Press Show, live from our nation's capital. And our studio on Capitol Hill, where we're brought to you today by the International Association of Sheet Metal, Air, Rail, and Transportation Workers. Put them all together, and you've got these smart union uh, Good men and women of the Smart Union under President Joseph Sellers giving a fair day's work for a fair day's pay. And you can find out more about their uh, good work at their website, smart-union.org. Here at studio with us now from uh, the Daily Beast Congress, or the Senate at least, is uh, back in town, keeping Andrew Desiderio uh, very, very busy, keeping track with them and but taking time out to join us this morning. Andrew, it's always good to see you. Great to see you. Thanks for coming in. We've been at it for uh, about an hour and a half here, though uh, we got started a lot later than Donald Trump did this morning. At 5.23 a.m. East Coast time, um, I was up and I got my first tweet from Donald Trump. Oh, man. God, go back to sleep. Uh, Anyhow, uh, but anyhow, a few comments, Peter, from 
Yes, indeed. We're on Twitter at BP Listeners Show. And viewers so at, far. Yes, indeed. Uh, we'll we'll start with the Twitter comments uh, at BP Show at BP Show. A lot of comments about uh, your interview with uh, DNC Chairman Tom Perez, which we had on about an hour ago. If you're just now tuning in, remember you have it up on the podcast, up in iTunes. Uh, we'll have it up right after the show if you want to listen to that. Uh, John Davis says about the interview, "I like what I'm hearing. Finally, the Democrats are doing something about what's being done to this country." Also, um, we uh, more comments uh, from our friend KG. Thank you, Tom Perez, for believing that Democrats can take back the House and the Senate. Mm-hmm. You have to believe before anything can actually happen. By the way, I was struck by Tom Perez. Nobody else, yeah. nobody else says taking back the the Senate. Everybody says the House probably, but no way the Senate. And Tom Perez says, "No, we're going to get them both." Keep hope alive. Keep hope alive. If you have any comments, uh, find us on Twitter at BP Show at BP Show. We want to hear what you have to say. All right. So, uh, Andrew, what about this? Um, the f- response yesterday. You were there. A senator just came back. It was their first chance to comment, both Democrats and Republicans, on the passing of John McCain. Uh, was it universal across the board? Uh, ninety-nine point five percent. Um, some just not wanting to talk, or is, well, yeah, I th- nobody I think, was openly critical. Were they? No, no, absolutely yeah. not. And and it was, you know, it was a difficult day for everyone there, but it was also really easy for almost all of them to open up about John McCain, about their experiences with him. Even those senators who typically bristle at reporters' attempts to draw out their emotions, it was really easy to talk to them. Um, I find my, found myself in you know five ten minute chats with individual senators who just went on and on and on. Um, you know, great material for the the story that I published this morning about you know different stories that senators had uh, based on their overseas experiences. You told one about McCain. Chris Coons, uh, Senator Chris Coons from uh, our good friend from from Delaware. Which yeah, I thought was great. Yeah, so he said that they were they had just stopped at the NATO headquarters in Kabul, Afghanistan. He they were, and he, he and was McCain. traveling with John yeah. McCain. Yeah, they were they were just really just stopped like passing through. Really, they had stopped to get coffee to meet with people, and then all of a sudden, from in the distance, this Marine screams, "Oh my God, it's John McCain!" Runs over to them. Soon after, 20, 25 other Marines follow him, and then he runs over to Chris Coons, who's standing next to John McCain. He's like, here, here, take my phone. Take a picture of me and, and John McCain. He's like, oh, okay. And then 15 minutes later, 50 photos later, Chris Coons is there just ev- getting everybody's phones. And then one guy, I didn't have this in the store, but one guy came up to him and said, hey, aren't you the, the senator, senator from Delaware? And he's like, shh, don't tell anybody that. He's a celebrity here. Um, which was just like, it just showed you like the admiration that the troops had for John McCain. And also the fact that when he went abroad, he was almost like the American president in a sense. World leaders sought him out. They wanted to get his advice. They wanted to talk to him about certain things. After Trump came into office, they wanted his reassurances that the U.S. was still going to be behind them on the international alliances and security alliances and things like that. Um, so in a lot of ways, I you know I call him John McCain the diplomat, but in some ways he was John McCain the American president sometimes uh, abroad. Or uh, Chuck Schumer yesterday uh, said uh, he was more or less the world U.S. Uh, ambassador. He was an unofficial ambassador for the United States, a comfort to our <laughs> allies, an unabashed champion for Western values. So um, yesterday, his uh, as is the tradition, his desk was uh, uh, draped in black. Yep. And, 
flowers on his desk. White roses, yeah. And then senators took their turns um, on the on the, both talking with you and other reporters outside in the in the hallways, but on the floor. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It, it was a really nice display. Um, I was inside the chamber at a certain point. I, I watched McConnell's speech and I watched Schumer's speech. They were both amazing, amazing tributes. Um, but then during the vote, as they were all trickling in, a bunch of them would lay their hand on and everything. I saw Jeff Flake uh, or Heidi Height Camp gave mm-hmm. Jeff Flake a big hug on the floor and everything. And Flake was kind of hovering around his desk and everything. So, you know, it was something to see um, and, and definitely a somber day for, for those on the Hill. Uh, so when are they going to vote to rename the Russell office building? You know, I, I think for some or reason will they? there was a lot of doubt in people's minds yesterday that this could happen. Um, what would it take? You know, I, I think Senator Cornyn said something like it has to go through the Rules Committee, things like that. So there's like this whole Senate process that has to happen. Um, but the Senate can do it on its own, right? Does it require Does it require legislation th- that the president would have to sign? Yeah, I think technically it would require something <laughs> that the president would have to sign. Well, forget about that. Um, so can that's you why. Imagine how. First of all. If Donald Trump, I can't imagine his ever signing it, but he could never sign it and without mentioning the name John McCain. He would, if he, if he did. I think the best path to this actually becoming law would be it just jumping into another piece of legislation, just getting tacked oh. on and then them voting on it, a bill that's going to pass, in other words. Um, that way, when Trump signs it, it's not something like a he's bill only that doing to a pass signing. That Trump would have to sign. Right, he's not just solely doing a signing ceremony for something that renames a building after John McCain. Um, so I think we saw a lot of Republican senators yesterday waiting, waiting uh, to see what what form this this plan would take. So it doesn't seem to be a rush to rename the building. It's... No, and, and a lot of them said, you know, we'll wait to see what the family wants and things like that. And you know, Chuck Grassley said something like, "I will name anything after John McCain, whatever the family wants." You know, so I think that's going to wait. We're, we're going to have to wait and see till till they comment on it. I guess I can't imagine they're going to have a problem with that. <laughs> But, uh, you know, meanwhile, there is one other um, item. First, the Senate is back. So nobody thought that uh, Mitch McConnell or well, a lot of people questioned whether Mitch McConnell would live up to his threat to bring the Senate back in August. But he's done so. Yeah. He? Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, even but what can they do with the House not here? I mean, it's just. Well, what they can do is something the House doesn't have jurisdiction over, which is judicial nominees. That's something that's been a real sticking point for Republicans, especially as they campaign for re-election. They've practically remade the federal bench, um, which is something that's really important to Republican primary voters, the sort of the base of Republicans that's going to turn out in the midterm elections. Um, and McConnell gave Schumer an ultimatum last week. He said, hey, I just filed cloture on all these nominees. We can confirm them right now or we can go through the process of 30 hours of debate for each of them next week. Um, and they couldn't really come to an agreement. And here they are next week. Um, you know, this is a problem, especially for a lot of Democrats who are, you know, have wanted to, to be at home campaigning for reelection. Folks like Joe Donnelly, Heidi Heitkamp. I was in Indiana a few weeks ago with Joe Donnelly on his RV tour. Um, but yeah, n- not many folks were expecting that they would be in this week because sometimes when they do cancel the recess, they say, okay, at the very yeah. end, yeah. we'll give them one week before Labor mm-hmm. Day and everything. But that's not not the case this time. Right. 
so they're there. So on their docket this week are judicial nominations. That's These right. These are um, appellate court, superior, not superior court, obviously, but uh, fed, federal district bench. court. District yeah, court. district court, and um, I think there's a couple of random departmental nominees sprinkled in, but most of them are judicial nominees. People that are going to be confirmed anyway. <laughs> so if Chuck Schumer could have said last week he could have come to an agreement with yeah. McConnell saying, okay, we'll just approve all these by unanimous consent and then be off this week. Um, but they wanted to go through the motions of, of, I guess, fighting some of these nominees. But yeah. Uh, meanwhile, there's also another judicial nomination looming over the Senate. Which one big one. Is <laughs> one big one. Yeah. Brett Kavanaugh. Right. Uh, are the... Do, do, do we know when the hearings are going to begin? Yeah, so and they actually begin a week from today. Uh, September 4th um, is the first one. Um, the Judiciary Committee is going to do that. Um, and there's going to be a, a series of them focused on different aspects. But the main one that everybody's going to be watching for is the September 4th one. The very first one. Senate, right. Senate Judiciary. Yep. Uh, do we know how, how many days? So, so that's the one hearing and the only one that he really has to survive, right? Um, in terms I mean, of public scrutiny, I would say yeah, but there are a bunch of other appearances he'll have to make um, before the committee. Has he different... met with all the senators yet? No, he's met, he's met with all the Republicans. Um, he's met with probably five to ten Democrats. Um, you know, a lot of them last week after the Michael Cohen news came out and said, you know, I'm not even going to meet with Judge, Judge Kavanaugh. And, the, and look, these are people that had said I'm not going to vote for him anyway, so whether they meet with him or not is not really – you know, determinative of, of anything. Um, Chuck Schumer met with him. The red state Democrats met with him. Um, Chris Coons met with him. Um, you know, a bunch of others. He needs 51 votes, right? That's right. And Republicans have 50. Well, they're going to have 51 they soon have when 51. the Arizona governor names a replacement for John McCain. I can't imagine it's going to be someone who's going to vote against Brett Kavanaugh. Um, right. So, you know, for that reason, I think um, McCain's death actually makes it more likely that Kavanaugh gets confirmed because instead of McCain being absent from the Senate uh, in Arizona and you only have 50 votes, now you're going to have someone to replace him and you got 51 now. And that makes it a lot easier, especially well, if— Well, with that vote count, there is no way Democrats can stop Kavanaugh. No. If it's, you know, if Republicans all vote for him, you know, and it's 51-49. But what um, are the chances that but, any Republican is going to vote against Kavanaugh? I mean, I think Democrats were people, hoping that yeah. someone like Susan Collins could. But, you know, I've been chatting with her in the hallway and, and, and others like Lisa Murkowski. They're not sounding like they're going to vote against Judge Kavanaugh. I, I guess oh, it was just the opposite. Susan yeah. Collins basically has almost endorsed him. Yeah, that, 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 but Remember, she voted was, for Gorsuch, too. We have to remember. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Last weekend when she said, like, oh, I had this conversation with oh, him, yeah. and he said, oh, oh. you know, that Roe is settled, settled, law. settled yeah. law. That was a nail in the coffin. Yeah, as far as I'm concerned, there's yeah. no way she's going to walk back from that. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think she's going to vote for him, and I think it's looking, you know, increasingly likely that at least a few Democrats will will join them. Um, you know, some of the folks that voted for Gorsuch that would be Manchin, Heitkamp, and um, Donnelly. So, how, uh, you know, I don't know how that plays, right? I mean, first of all, I've I've made the argument which before I make it again. I do not believe that Joe Donnelly or Heidi Heitkamp or any of them uh, that they're future in the United States Senate depends on how they vote on Brett Kavanaugh. I think that's an exaggerated response. But at the same time, if you know he's going to be on the court anyway, you know, how does that play? Then you say, well, then I'm free to vote against him because it's not going to make any difference. Or then 
since he's going to be on there anyway, out. I'll vote for him because, you know, that way I'll be on the winning team. I, I, when I was in Indiana, I chatted with a, a voter there who showed up to a Donnelly event, and she said to me, she's a, a conservative Republican, and she at said— a Donnelly event? At a, yeah, at a Donnelly <laughs> event, and she said, um, you know, I, she asked him point blank about, about Kavanaugh, and he gave his cookie-cutter response about, oh, I'm going to look through his record and make a decision. I'm going to meet with him, all that stuff. But I talked to her afterward, and she told me that um, if Donnelly votes against Judge Kavanaugh, she's not going to vote for him for Senate. If Donnelly does vote for Kavanaugh, he's got her vote. And this is a conservative Republican saying that. Um, and I have a feeling there are a lot more people like that around the state of Indiana and other states that have historically voted for these conservative Democrats that they have felt represented them well as a state, even though they might not have lined up with them well ideologically and I talked to Donnelly about it just one on one after that that conversation I had with this woman um, and he and I I said you know that there are people like that out there right he's like oh I know so I think that tells you that he What do the polls show in Indiana on with uh, Donnelly Um he is you know I think he's he's got the advantage of incumbency so that it makes him ahead right now in the race um, but his opponent, Mike Braun, is running as a Trump loyalist, essentially. Um, and that's going to p- play well in a state that Trump won by 20 points. Um, Joe Donnelly is kind of a throwback to the, the days of, you know, um, the type of politicking where voters rewarded the hard work and the, you know, the someone who's not bombastic, someone who's going to be on the ground talking to people, someone who's going to be pragmatic and realistic about taking votes and everything, not going to tow a party line either way. He's kind of a a throwback to that era. So he doesn't line up perfectly with the way Democrats are kind of positioning themselves in the midterm elections this year. He's trying to distinguish himself. Meanwhile, his opponent is running as a Trump loyalist. Uh, Donnelly, the front runner? Yeah, I think it's safe to say he's the front runner, but he's definitely in in danger. But he has the the advantage of incumbency. That's what's helping him right now. Right. Uh, Have you been to North Dakota? I have not. Okay. Hoping to go there soon, though. Yeah. Aren't we all? Aren't, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. For my campaign travels. Neither am I, no. Well, when did you come back? Because people do yeah. say the Heidi Heitkamp is the most uh, imperiled of the... Uh, yeah, the, I don't know. I would I would say Donnelly is just because of the type of state that is and the type of lawmaker he is. So, we'll uh, When you're talking to these Republican senators, there, um, it must be a challenge, or is it a challenge for them, uh, they've got a president of their own party who is taking positions that are very unrepublican-like, at least traditionally. Yeah. Uh, for example, on tariffs. There's Donald Trump out there slapping That's tariffs the against any issue, country yeah. that comes along, and these Republican senators have made a career out of being free traders and opposing tariffs. How do they deal with this? Well, what are they going to do about it? Yeah, actually, when I was in Indiana, I visited um, Elkhart, which is the RV capital yes, of yeah. America, um, that industry has been pummeled by these tariffs because they rely heavily on steel and aluminum for their products. Um, I, I went around in Elkhart and met with a bunch of these manufacturers who said that, you know, the the price of aluminum doubled overnight after Trump announced the tariffs. He gave them two weeks to work with to kind of adjust their strategy here. Um, and I talked to these these manufacturers who said basically, yeah, it would have been it would have been nice to have like twelve months notice or something like that of these tariffs instead of springing them on us really quickly and then upping our cost of production. We have to pass those costs on to consumers and then maybe cut jobs in the future. Um, but what they did say was they're not quite ready to to get off of the Trump train. 
um, they're still attached to him, um, you know, which is, I think, reflective of this tribal nature of our politics these days. Um, no, it, Peter talked uh, earlier today about a TV manufacturers down in Alabama. It's South Carolina. It's South, South Carolina. Carolina. Yeah. Element yeah. Uh, Same electronics. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. They're being they're being wiped out by these tariffs, and yet, oh, they're still Trump supporters because. Why? I think uh, uh, unless there's a mass wipeout of of jobs in in a place like Elkhart, these people are going to be behind him no matter what. I think you know Trump won Elkhart County with like sixty five percent of the vote, something like that. Um, Obama's stimulus dollars actually helped parts of Elkhart, not the RV industry specifically, um, but it helped in terms of their economic revival. Got them down from a, a high of twenty percent unemployment down to I think three percent. Well, there was talk about legislation to curb the president's ability to unilaterally impose these tariffs. That's right, and Senate Republican leaders scoffed at that monumentally. But it was bipartisan legislation. It was bipartisan. Bob Corker had it. All all it would have done is it would have said anytime the president wants to use national security reasons to justify these yeah, tariffs, right. which is what he did for steel and aluminum, and yeah. some dairy products from Canada as well, um, anytime he wants to do that, Congress should have an up or down say because theoretically these tariffs would be the result of a national security investigation conducted by the Commerce Department. So Congress would want to say, hey, let, let us see the results of that to make sure it's legit and you're not just you know, using that as a scapegoat to impose tariffs randomly um, and do an up or down vote on, on whether to approve those tariffs. And Senate Republican leaders said something like, oh, well, and this was John Cornyn speaking, we don't want to upset the president in an election year. Um, <laughs> and this is something that, you know, five yeah. years ago, even two oh, years ago, Republicans yeah. would have said, yeah, great idea, oh, no. you know. We'll surrender all of our principles in an election year, right? Because, yeah. And this was a Corker bill, too, um, which I think yeah. factored into some of the hesitation oh. because having him as well, the standard bearer was not something Republicans wanted to, well, wanted to see. Well, uh, among many other issues, there's also the issue of uh, Russia, our dealings with Russia, and Donald Trump, uh, which uh, Republicans have always been very clear about, this is the enemy, right? And yet Donald Trump and his public embrace of Vladimir Putin. Not only that, they've acted uh, on Russia. They've imposed yeah, right. really strict yes, sanctions. Yes. They voted 98 to 2 in the Senate, 419 right. to 3 in the House. The president threatened to veto. He had no choice but to sign it into law, right? So that was a major rebuke of the president. You know, it happened more than a year ago. Um, but it was something that I think Republicans were not willing to compromise on in terms of something that they had held dearly historically to them, which was but being still, hawkish on Russia. Still today, they must be aghast at you know Trump's buddy-buddy relationship with Putin. Yeah, and, and I think they, they showed that after the Helsinki summit when Trump went up there with Putin and at his press conference and, mm -hmm. and said he trusted Putin's denials of election meddling over his over the intelligence own intelligence agencies. agencies. But you know, beyond verbal condemnations, we didn't really see much. You uh, have profiled uh, Congressman Curbelo. He's been sort of the leading, uh, emerged as one of the leading uh, critics of Donald Trump. Yeah, he, he comes from a really interesting district. Um, it, it's the southernmost district of Florida. I traveled down there and, and hmm. spent a lot of time with him. Um, it so he represents <laughs> South Key Miami. West? Key West, yeah, Key Whoa. West and uh, South Miami, essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, it's So we see all these gerrymandered districts around the country, right? Whether they're gerrymandered in favor of Republicans or in favor of Democrats. This is a true, um, you know, down the middle swing district. Um, and they don't 
people in that district don't really go for partisans, people that tow either party line. That's why you see someone like Curbelo, who's really successful in that district. You know, he's someone who he supports gay marriage. He just um, introduced legislation on a, a carbon tax. This is a Republican propose, proposing a carbon tax. Um, you know, the context here is he represents parts of the Everglades, right? Um, and climate change is really threatening uh, major parts of his district and everything. Um, so he's really um, emerged as one of it, the you know more liberal Republicans, um, someone who's been really critical of Trump, and he has a really difficult uh, path to reelection this year because what he has to do is, at the same time as keeping Trump supporters in his corner, he has to not alienate people who voted for Hillary Clinton. Hillary won his district by 16 points. That's mm. the highest margin mm. of any Republican running for re-election this year. So theoretically, he should be toast. But he's actually, I think, likely to win that district. Democrats think they can pick it up, but I don't think they're going to. Right. Um, and and um, be interesting. He, as I say, he's probably the leading Republican critic of uh, Donald Trump in yeah, the House. And uh, he is, explaining but... his, as you explained his district, I, I understand more why. And... Um, that's about it. Out of time. Thanks All so right. much, Andrew, for coming Thanks in. For Thanks for your me. good work. Uh, you got it. your uh, senators over there, so we'll let you get back to uh, trying to, you know, hustle run, after them. Run them down, <laughs> exactly. Have a Thanks, great day, bro. folks. We'll see you tomorrow here on the this Bill Press Show. Is the Bill Press Show.